as we as we enter into our study for tonight, the book of Romans, I'm calling this lesson this letter, as opposed to the other letters. Because the other letters had a reason, and Galatians has some reasons. Ephesians had some reasons. Sometimes Paul just he liked the church. He wanted to communicate. He liked what was going on. But then sometimes he didn't. So as we read through Romans, that's something we're going to see. This is the most complex of Paul's letters. As I said last week, it's almost his theological uh, treatise. This is, I'm going to put down for you what I believe when I talk about the gospel of God's grace. And so Paul said, here, here it is. I'm going to explain the whole thing to you. And I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you that. And I'm going to tell you why it's important for you. And I'm going to tell you how we got it. This grace that brings glory to God. And I'm also going to tell you how you can live this in your own personal life. So Paul's got a lot of, a lot of things he wants to tell the Roman church. But as we, as we look at this letter, why, why Romans? I asked that question last week, and we looked at some reasons, but tonight I want to talk about this letter, this letter that is from Paul. Now, I shortened what I want to say at the beginning, so just look at the top of your page there, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 7. So I'm skipping a whole bunch because there's a tremendous amount of theology in verses 2 through 6. I mean, a lot. And... It's not really an outline for what's later, but it's Paul's explanation of what he means by the gospel. We'll talk about that in a future coming lesson. So Romans 1.1, and then skip to verse 7. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Skip down to verse 7. To all those in Rome, Paul to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Interesting phrase. And then here's the title of my class, Grace to You and Peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is from Paul and is to the Romans. And if you skip back to chapter 16, don't do it right now. But if you skip back to chapter 16, he goes through a list of all these people he knows that are in Rome. It's amazing, because Paul's never been to Rome. He's never been to the Rome, Roman church. He's never visited any of these house churches. Yet he knows these people. Some people who he's known from his ministry circles. Other people, we don't know how Paul knows them, but he knows them. And there's important things that we can understand just by reading their names but that's for later on so you have to keep coming till I get to that but this letter is directed to people that he knows and a lot of people that he doesn't at this point we don't know how large the church at Rome was we don't really know when it started because we don't know who started it we've got no definition but as I'll bring in in another lesson here in a couple weeks. This church has been in existence 
since about the time Paul was called into ministry. Because one of the Roman emperors expelled people from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. He expelled them from Rome because of this cult of Christos. And he was afraid that the tension that was growing between this cult of Christos and the Jews. And he didn't want it, so he threw the cult out. Cult of Christos. Who do you think that was? Uh, it was believers. Cult of Christians. They were a cult because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They wouldn't bow down to the emperor. They wouldn't acknowledge that the emperor was divine. Now, the emperor at that time, you know, he wasn't real big on being divine. He just wanted to be recognized as divine so nobody would question him. Um, later on, some of the crazy people really thought they were God. Had their heads taken off of their statues, had their head placed on. You know, it's pretty, pretty stupid. But anyway, uh, but there was something going on, and that was in the early 40s. And so Paul knows that there have been Christians there. So he's writing to these people. And one of the people that becomes important in the church in Rome, as you'll see here, is a man named Clement. Now, it's probable, though there's no definition, it's probable that this is the same man that's mentioned in Philippians chapter 4 when Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he mentions the man Clement. And that Clement then went to Rome and became a leader in the church in Rome. Later on, it's absolutely certain he was the leader of the church in Rome, because about 30 years after Paul, AD 96, he is designated as the bishop of Rome. In other words, he's the chief minister over all of the other house churches and the other churches that are in the city of Rome, which was probably a great number. And he served in that position, you see there, from 88 to 99. So for 10 years, 99, 100 different people uh, put a different date on it. But he's probably the same one. His letters contain 150 quotations from both the Old and the New Testament. So what we have from Clement is letters. People say, well, we don't have any proof that the Bible was, was really true. Um, you know, people didn't have the Bible. No, they didn't. But these early leaders of the church, they wrote letters. And in their letters, they quoted Scripture. And you could take the letters from these different men in the first 200 years of the church, you can take all of their letters, and out of those letters, you could just about build the entire Old and New Testament. And so, yeah, they knew the scriptures. They wrote one another. They wrote different churches. And he was finally martyred by a man named Domitian, who's the same man who put John on the Isle of Patmos, who considered himself Lord God. He was uh, tied to the anchor and thrown alive into the sea. An anchor was an early symbol of Christianity. And we, we think of the cross, but they used an anchor. 
no one really has the full understanding of that. Was it kind of a concealed cross? You know, they turned it upside down and made it an anchor. And so then they could put that anchor and it wasn't a cross. And who knows? That's one of the stories that goes along with it. But in his letter, I got some points there. In his letter, he uses language over and over that reflect a precise knowledge of Paul's letter to the Roman church. It's like he's just writing, he's writing his thoughts, you know they're his thoughts, and then all of a sudden he just throws in a quote from Paul, and it's in there. And then later on he's writing and he puts in a small quote from Paul, maybe a half a sentence or a phrase, and you know it came out of the book of Romans. It's like he was so familiar with the book of Romans some historians think he had it memorized, that he could just quote something from the book of Romans at any time, any time he wanted to. And so his writings are full of these words. His words are Paul's. His style is like Paul, although you can tell a difference. You read his words, you read Paul's words, his words are good. But you read Paul's words, and there's difference. What's the difference? The anointing on the Word of God. It's one thing for a man to write a book and put his thoughts in the book, but it's another when God has inspired you to write a book, and it's the Spirit of God working through you. That's what the Bible is. And so the church fathers, some of their books are very interesting. Uh, you can get them in a collection called the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, Didache. Um, some of them are interesting. They're not easy to read. They didn't write in sentences like we write. And so some of them, and some of that depends on the man, the person that translated their letters. But you can read these. And so it's clear from, from Clement's letter that was written in A.D. 96 to the church at Corinth. Oh, and guess what? In his letter to the church at Corinth, what do you think he's doing? What did Paul do when he wrote his letters to the church of Corinth? Encouraged, but also a lot of correction. I mean, there's a lot of correction. Guess what's in Clement's letter to the Corinthian church? A lot of correction. And so it's kind of amazing that in 30 years, the church really didn't change that much. So... But his letter to the church at Corinth is, is very uh, famous. You can read it. But in that letter, there are a lot of quotations from the book of Romans. And so that makes a lot of sense. So people say, well, you know, but the earliest manuscript, that's my bottom point there, the oldest manuscript of Paul's letter dates from the 2nd century, somewhere in the 100s. So we have a manuscript of Paul's letter to the Romans, but Clement's letter shows he knew Paul's letter long before that. So people want to say, well, these letters were made up. No, they weren't. People can't quote from the book of Romans if they don't know the book of Romans. And so this is one of those, one of those points. Now, this ties me into my point for you, your homework. Uh, your homework is to read the letter to the Romans. Don't stop and study it. Read through it. Read it like a letter. 
read through so that you get the flow of what's there. And I want you to do that as often as you can. Some people got through one or two chapters because they can't help themselves. They have to stop and study. Or they want to read it in two or three different translations. You can do that. Um, but I want you to read through the letter. I want you to get the flow. Take the chapter headings and even the verses out. There are some translations that do that. The Message Bible, for a lot of times, doesn't really put a lot of the verses in. Another translation called the Phillips translation is excellent. It's great to read from because it doesn't have all of the uh, paragraphing and chapter headings that we have. That's also called the New Testament in Modern English, Phillips translation. So this is, this is an important letter. It was an important letter in the early church, and we can see how important it was by how much Clement used it in ministering to another church. But what about Paul? Paul's passion was to see people come to the knowledge of the gospel, which is something we'll, again, talk more about in the coming weeks. What is this gospel? But Paul was interested in this church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to skip all the way to the next to the last chapter. We're going to go all the way back to chapter 15. Because in here, Paul explains his reasoning for writing this letter and what he knows about these people. And so we, we read some very interesting parts. Now, Romans 15, I, I could go the whole thing, and we will later. And I'm not going to go in as much depth now as I will later when we come to it. But the bottom of your first page, Romans chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 14, although there's some really good stuff in the verses just before that. Paul said, Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are three things, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So here's Paul writing to people. He, he's never been to the church. He knows a number of them, but there were maybe a thousand, maybe a couple thousand people who are Christians in Rome at this time, maybe even more than that. Christianity was extremely popular among the slaves because it gave them a freedom inwardly that they didn't have outwardly. A Roman slave was a tool, and if the tool broke, you threw it away. And they were cheap. Slaves were cheap. And you could get one... If you didn't like them, throw them away. If they got sick or they were old or they couldn't work, they had a child, throw them away. You could throw the children away, and they often did. But what does he say about these people? He said, number one, you're full of goodness. Full of goodness. When you look at this word, uh, it means that you're doing things that are just naturally good they're internally good and how can you do that because there's something in them Paul is very familiar with these people and what he says is your goodness is on full display 
you are full of goodness. You're not just good behind the scenes. You're outwardly good. There's something about you that is attractive. Something about you that is drawing people's interest. And when you study the early church, they grew by drawing people not as much as not not by evangelism. And so, yes, there was outward witnessing and those things, but more it was the outward or the life that they lived as a display drawing people in because it was so different than Roman culture. And if we want to see our churches grow today, we got to be living differently than our culture. There has to be some kind of mark. That doesn't mean we all have to walk around in black robes and white collars and all those kinds of things, but we need to be living in a way that people say, there's something different. Tell me, show me, help me. Number two, they're filled with all knowledge. Well, that doesn't mean you can't be taught. Filled with all knowledge doesn't mean that you don't need any more knowledge. The idea here is that what they have been taught, they use. Filled with all knowledge. You are doing what you are known to do. They're convinced, um, or Paul's convinced, that they have been taught well. And because they've been taught well, they are applying it well. They're doing with what God has given them to do. And then finally, he says, top of your next page, he says, you're able to instruct. Their knowledge was not static. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reading junkie. Um, I, can, I can go down the rabbit hole on social media, Wikipedia, something like that. I find something interesting, and the next thing, I'm 20 minutes into reading about stuff that I didn't really start wanting to read about, but now I'm interested in. Okay, I can go down the rabbit hole on that stuff. I, I love I love reading. I love in, insight. I, I want more, more information, please. That's, that's me. But their knowledge was not static. That, most of the stuff I get in there and learn, uh, it doesn't really mean much. Except, you know, Jan and I are riding around the car and we see some kind of cloud formation and I tell her, oh, that's, that's such and such kind of a clouds and it means such and such. And it's like, how did you know that? I don't know. I read it someplace one day in one of my rabbit trails. And so it's kind of useless knowledge until you use it and impress people with it. And then it's, or else they're not impressed at all. But that's not the kind of knowledge that these people were having. Their knowledge wasn't static. They were able to instruct others. What they were learning was so that they could help other people. To help other people see and bring people to, a, to an ability. I, I found it interesting here when you compare this statement about the Romans with Paul's statement about the Hebrew church. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, it's there. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, able to instruct others, you need someone to teach you again. Paul was not happy with the Hebrew church. And so 
He said, I've got to go back and teach you again the things that I taught you. It's not that I'm bringing them to your remembrance. There's, there's nothing wrong with bringing things to our remembrance. We're not always thinking about everything that's in the Bible. But to teach you again, meaning that you didn't learn it the first time, or the second, or the third, or whatever, to teach you again the basic principles, lay again the foundations, you should have those. But this church in Rome is different. What they have, they're taking and sharing, teaching, instructing other people, leading other people. We could say they are discipling people. It's not the word for disciple, but it brings about that connotation. And so what Paul's going to present in this letter is not a rebuke, and it's not to reteach or retrain them. What Paul wants to do is clarify his gospel. He wants them to understand this gospel of grace that he teaches. Because Paul's teaching on the gospel of grace was something that God specifically put him in the body of Christ to do. So, let's go on to the next passage, chapter 15, verses 15 to 16. He says, but at some points I've written to you very boldly, by way of reminder. So I've, I've said some pretty strong things, and Paul does. A couple of places in, in Romans, he gets pretty, pretty strong. Because of the grace given me by God. There is, a, there is an anointing on Paul's life to do something. And grace has to do with God's power invested in something. God's power released in us for a purpose, for a, for a work. And his grace was given to me, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul had a specific message to teach. And, and you would do yourself a great service. I know I gave you to read the book of Romans, but you do yourself a great service to read Ephesians chapter 2 all the way through chapter 3 because in there Paul does somewhat of the same thing and he explains in there that one of the great things that God was doing in this gospel when he talks about the gospel what God was doing in the gospel was he was making Jew and Gentile one new man and that was surprising and some people resisted it no we're Jewish believers, and those are Gentile believers. Yeah, you can call us Christians, but we're Jewish. We got the right roots. We've come from the right place. Those people, yeah, they're kind of in, but there's some stuff they probably need to do. And it got so bad in uh, some places, uh, all the way in the book of Acts, you can read how they said, you know, you can't be saved unless you have committed yourself to fulfill the law of Moses. That unless you keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that's going back and live in the Old Testament. And Paul greatly disagreed with that. And his gospel disagrees with that. And Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, this, this was a stewardship that was given to me. This is an office that God has given me to teach, and I am going to 
tell you that what God has done is he's joined Jew and Gentile together. That this is one new person, one new man, one church. And there's no separation between Jew and Gentile. And Paul even goes so far in, in Ephesians chapter 3 that he says, it, it, this is such a, a surprise that even the angels didn't understand it. God has given me to even teach the angels these things. Now, again, go back and read it. Not right now. <laughs> so what Paul is saying is I know there were some there, and we're going to run into them, especially in chapter 2. And so when we get to chapter 2, we're going to run into Paul's a challenge against some of these Jewish people who felt they were the, the perfect Christians. They were what Christians were supposed to be. And then there were those eh, Gentile believers. And Paul has a challenge for them. And so there's a, there's a group of those. But for the most part, what Paul wants to present, look at verse 16, that he sent me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God. Those are all words that have to do with worship. The word minister is different than most commonly used. It's a, it's a word it's down there in your notes. It's one who serves someone else's wants or demands. And so it was used in government officials, and it was used for priests. Because a priest is fulfilling someone else's desires. Whose? God's. A priest serves God's desire, not yours. The priest isn't there to serve your desire. He's there to help you serve God's desires. And so that's the way that this word is used. It's even used of Jesus at one point in the book of Hebrews. And so Jesus was a minister in the sense that he was here doing something that God had demanded. And so this is what Paul was doing. It's a minister of Christ Jesus to who? To the Gentiles. Does that mean Paul doesn't minister to Jews? No. But what he's doing is reaching a group that hasn't been wanted and so his desire is to help them come in. He said, in a priestly service, again, using worship language, and this has to do with those who uh, offer people, offer a, a sacrifice, offer something to God. But what is Paul offering? He's offering a message, not blood. Other priests at their temples, they offered blood. They offered some kind of sacrifice. What's Paul's sacrifice? This message. Look, again, look, look at the statement. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. He said, I am ministering this work of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So what Paul is, is offering is this message that is for all mankind and to draw everyone in. And so this is, again, part of why Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. And then he goes on and he talks about the Gentile converts, that they are an offering of the Gentiles that could be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, they're actually, I'm actually presenting them to God. But they're presented how? Again, without blood. Why? Because the blood's already been shed. 
the blood was shed by Jesus Christ, not just for Jews. Ephesians chapter 2 is very powerful on all of that. He took down that wall. He destroyed the barrier between Jew and Gentile so that he could make in himself one new man and therefore bring peace. And so all these things Paul is presenting. And notice the last phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God's work. Now I put down some passages from the book of Acts where this gospel was presented to Gentiles. And every one of these statements talk about it was an operation of the Spirit of God. And that the Spirit was involved. We can read Acts chapter 10. Peter's story from Cornelius' house. I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as us on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The Spirit fell on them. The Spirit went into that room and filled all these people, gave them new life in Christ Jesus, filled them with his power and his ability, and Peter just stood there witnessing what God was doing, not to Jewish people, but to Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, Paul has to defend that, or Peter has to defend what happened there. Again, this is when they're challenged about Gentiles have to first become Jews before they can be saved. Peter says no. Look at verse uh, Acts 15 verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. And so Paul says how did they come in? By faith. How did we Jews come in? By faith. Not by the law. It's by the faith that we came in. And so Peter is clarifying the entire story. Paul <clears throat> brings out the same point. Paul, Acts chapter 13, in Paul's letter to the uh, church in Antioch, the, the new believers, as Paul was preaching in the, in the synagogue. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. So they went to the synagogue, but the leaders of the synagogue got angry about all these Gentiles coming in and all these <clears throat> other people who didn't really belong coming in. And so they began to question, and they didn't want Paul to do that. Paul says, listen to his words, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternity. God didn't judge them unworthy. They judged themselves unworthy. When people reject the gospel message, they are rejecting the, the gift of eternal life that God wants to give them. And so he says that this was what God wanted to do. To, excuse me, I need to drink my water. Not having spoken for all. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so what Paul is saying here is that this message is important. <clears throat> and it wasn't just for Jews. Now, why am I making such a big point of this? Because the book of Romans does. Over and over in the book of Romans, this idea comes up. The issue comes up. He even goes two or three full chapters explaining why God has turned away from the Jews as a whole 
not, not Jews that want to believe, but the Jewish people who want to hold on to their old ways. And now God has turned away. And so chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, Paul deals with that whole question. So it is an important issue for them. All right, so let's go back to Romans 15. In verse 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I don't know. That's not a good thing to be proud of your work, is it? We'll talk. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through us. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. Not obedience to the law, but obedience to this gospel. This message of new life in Christ Jesus. He says what Christ has accomplished through me. He says I can be proud of what Christ has accomplished in me. I can take joy from that. The word he uses has to do with something that is is done that you are recognizing that God was in it and that God is doing this through him for the purpose of the Roman people to spread this gospel. And Rome was filled with people from all around the world. They brought them in as slaves. They brought them in as, as officials. They, they came there as business people to trade. Uh, and Rome was full of these people. People from all different walks of life and every stage. And when you go back to Romans 16, you find those names and they belong to every caste, society, every ethnic group, every people group, which is what God was intending to do to begin with. And so Paul is saying this is the purpose of this message. And so what does he say? I accomplished these things. God accomplished these things through me by three things here. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. And these are three things that, that need to be in our life if we're going to see the church reach the world. If we're going to have influence on our culture and our society, three things, word and deed. The Greek word here has to do with what you speak and why you live. How you speak, what you're saying, and how you're living. Now, the, using the word logos for word, he's not just talking about saying it. He's talking about the content of what you're saying. It's not just that you said something. It's what's the content of what you're saying, logos. Not just saying it, but having effective content in what you're talking about. And your works, the word ergon, word and deeds, or works. You could translate that word works. He said, I thought works weren't important. Yes, they are. If we're going to reach a world, we've got to work. We've got to do something. You can't work your way to salvation. Paul's going to make that clear. But once you're saved, you need to be working, doing something. Then he talks about signs and wonders. These two things consistently are found together. You can find them separately, but for the most part, they're mentioned together. And signs always comes first and wonders. And the idea of a sign is it's some kind of unusual event that authenticates something or someone 
It's something that's startling or amazing that grabs people's attention. It's a sign. It was different. It, it was a sign, and they knew when they saw the sign that it pointed to something else. It authenticated this. So the sign of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the sign of the people speaking in tongues. And so those were a fulfillment of something that the Old Testament had said. And now it happened. And so it had pointed to this. But then there's also the word wonders, signs and wonders. Wonders are those things that that are amazing and grab people's attention. Jesus did miracles and it grabbed people's attention. Peter, Paul, miracles that grabbed people's attention. Paul is saying, these things were done by me. People say, well, you know, we don't need, we need, don't need miracles anymore. Yeah, we do. We, we need signs and wonders because they grab people's attention. The signs point to something and the wonders get their attention and hold their attention while they sometimes think through what they just saw. And then he says, what's the, what's the thing behind this? The power of the Spirit of God. As they spoke, as they work, as they demonstrated signs and wonders, it was the Spirit of God that was working through them. It's the power of the Spirit. Whatever we're doing is the power of the Spirit. If we're speaking, if we're doing, if we're helping, if we're witnessing, it's the power of the Spirit that is behind all of this. And it's the Spirit who is working in the hearts of people. We talk, and the Spirit of God works. And he works inside their hearts and their minds. And so Paul is saying this was happening in the church in Rome. This is how this church has grown. And this is how, Paul says, this is how I minister. Bottom of your page two. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem. Paul wants to say that the issue came from Jerusalem, but Paul was not sent out from Jerusalem, was he? I mean, you know the story of Paul. Paul was sent out from where? Where? Antioch. The church in Antioch is the one that sent him out. Separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. But Paul says, from Jerusalem. Now, Paul went to Jerusalem, and he did some things in Jerusalem, and this is before he goes on his final trip to Jerusalem and where he gets put in prison. But what Paul is saying is that the message of the gospel has come out from Jerusalem. And the message, Paul says, the message I'm preaching is the same as the message that came out of Jerusalem. As Jesus said just before he ascended, he said, wait here, wait in this city till you're filled with power from on high. And you shall be my witnesses. And you will witness from Jerusalem, right, to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so this is Paul saying that the origin of my message is the same as the 12 who are in the city of Jerusalem. So it's come out from that same place. There's not two different messages. There's not their message and Paul's message. There's not Peter and John and Paul. It's all one message. And it's all ministered out of there. And this gospel he has taken 
all the way, he says, around to a place called Illyricum, which is on the western coast of what we know of as the peninsula of Greece. And so on this western coast, now we have no record in the book of Acts that Paul went there, but Paul says he did. And so there's times he spent months, even a year or more, in the city of Corinth. And from there he could have gone into Illyricum, which is just above and to the west of the city of Corinth. So this is, this is something that Paul wants them to know that this gospel has been spread. Now, he says he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. God gave him a message at his, at his new birth, at his time that he was struck by the Lord, and then he went to the, to the room, and a man came named Ananias and came and ministered to him. And what did Ananias say? One of the things he said, look at there, in your, it's in your notes, but the Lord said to him, go. Go, go speak to Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. But the first thing in the line is what? To the Gentiles. Um, you're going to go so that you can take this message to them. And then Paul goes on in verse 20, Romans 15, verse 20, says, And thus I made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I make it my ambition. I got interested in that because, you know, my ambition, is, is that wrong to say it's my ambition? Yet, the word that is used here, Paul said, and make it my ambition, the word means to love the honor of accomplishing what has been given to you. My ambition, this Greek word, means to love the honor of what's been given to me. So, there's two things involved in there. First, there's what's been given to you. And then there's loving the honor of accomplishing it. Sometimes God has given us something, and we don't do it. We didn't love the honor. We didn't make it our ambition. We didn't love the honor of accomplishing it. We loved the honor of receiving it. Come on. But we didn't love the honor of accomplishing it. And so that's the word Paul says, my ambition. To do what? To preach the gospel. This gospel. We're going to talk about more about what the gospel means in coming up but what this means the way that this word preach the gospel uh, to evangelize it's all one greek word indicates he is and will continue to do so i am evangelizing and i will continue he has given me this and i love the honor of evangelizing i love the honor that is given to me but if i um, if i'm not doing it it's just some plaque on the wall it's some stripe that I put on my you know uniform it's some position that I want people to acknowledge that I have but do you love the honor of accomplishing it and Paul said yeah I do and he says what I want to do is I want to preach where Christ has not already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. I don't want to go where other people have already witnessed. No. Now, Paul was also a teacher, was he not? He was an evangelist, he was an apostle, he was a teacher. 
And so he wanted to do that. But who did he teach? Paul wrote his letters to people he knew. And so he wanted to teach those people. And though he's writing these, this letter to the Romans to people he doesn't necessarily know, it's because he wants to go there and have some uh, gift to give unto them something. But more than that, he wants to clarify what this gospel is because he doesn't want it to get confused. He doesn't want his message to be confused by people who don't want the Gentiles to come in. And at this point, it was there was a bunch. And so Paul has to explain grace and faith. He has to explain how we move from the grace of God to fulfillment of a new life and justification and, and righteousness, eternal life, how we move into sanctification. Paul wants to explain all of that to these people because that's his gospel. And he wants them to know what this gospel is because he doesn't want it to be refused in the city of Rome. But he's not trying to go there and build a church. He wants to continue what he's been doing. Now, he says in verses 22 and on, this is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I mean, how personal is that? When Paul is talking to these people. He says, I want to, this is what I want to do. And he's laying out the whole principle. I'm not coming there to stay there and build a church. You've got churches. Do I want to have some fruit there? Do I want to teach? Yes, but I don't want to try to build churches and start where do I want to go I want to go to Spain said so that's my intense desire that's that's what I want to reach a place where the gospel has not been named and so did Paul ever get to Spain well we'll talk about that later he said but as I go I'm looking for you to help me on my journey I'm looking for you to give me some assistance First, he says, uh, I've been hindered from coming. The, the Greek word there just means to cut the road, that something has, has kept in from being there. Now, the enemy does that. He cuts the road. But when the enemy hinders you from coming, you find another way. But when it's Jesus hindering you from coming, you go his way. And so it wasn't... It wasn't circumstances that were hindering Paul from getting there. It was who? Jesus. He's, he's not released me to come. I want to be there, but I've been hindered. Jesus keeps cutting that off. No, that's not what I want for you. Not right now. So I want to go to Spain. How many? No, Paul could have gotten on a boat and gone to Spain anytime he wanted. Is that right? Yeah. He could have. But it would not be prosperous. That means it wouldn't be productive unless he went according to the will of God. You know, there's all kinds of things we can do. But is it what God wants us to do? 
Paul was always sensitive of that. Did Paul want to go to Spain? Yes. Did he want to come through Rome? Yes. But he had to go to Jerusalem first because God had given him something else to do, and that was to collect this offering and then to take it to the saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul knew he needed to do that. Now, what he did when he got there were some mistakes that he made, which caused him to be put in prison, but that's not in the context of our course right now. But Paul wanted to go, and he wanted them to help him get there. So this is where we'll we'll end for tonight. So Paul wanted them to help him on his journey. Is it wrong to ask people to help you in fulfilling what you believe God has given you to do? No. Paul did it. He wrote a letter asking them. Now, he had written other letters asking people to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem, and he was taking an offering for that. But here, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm looking for you to help me on my way. You could say, well, no, he's just asking for people you know, to give him a house to keep him overnight. No, he's asking for financial help to accomplish what God has given him to do. And Paul has a firm belief that what God has given him to do is, is a divine plan that God wants for him. And he's ready to do it no matter what. He's going to talk about the trouble he, he knows he's going to run into. He already knows there's going to be trouble in Jerusalem. He's going to do it anyway. So we'll pick up here in our next session and continue with this, and then we're going to talk about the, the message, grace and peace. What, what does that mean? How do we get that? How does that work? And why did Paul think it was such an important phrase that he used it at the beginning of every letter he wrote. All right, so we'll talk about that. Um, Again, your assignment, read the book of Romans, not another book, not, read the book of Romans. Get a good translation, read it in two or three different translations. Read as much of it as you can in a day. If you can read half of it in a day, read the other half the next day. If you can just read one chapter, read one chapter. But I want you to read it as a letter. The second thing I've given you is this, this is an assignment. So I, I, wanna, I want you to give me a, a verse, a passage from the book of Romans. I've gotten probably 15 so far. I want you to give me a passage that is significant to you. How From the book of Romans, a passage that is significant in your life, that said something to you, that drew you in, that is a maybe a foundation for something that's in your life and that you are standing upon. So send me those. My email address is at the top of the, of the notes. You can send those to me. Uh, later, I'm going to have a whole lesson where we're going to talk about those verses that you sent in. So, all right, let's close with prayer.